We uh, have had a wonderful time with Chris Kane here. She has just done an amazing job. Uh, how many, uh, let, let me hear you. We're at Sparkle. Come on, let's hear it for those of you. Yeah, yes. All right. And uh, one of the things that I just love is that uh, I said this to Becca on the way home after the conference. I said, Chris will do just as good of a ministry time to our whole church as she will for the ladies. She is a, 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 just a, a gift to the local church, to the body of Christ, passionate about what she does. Uh, guys, she might speak a little fast for us, but we'll hang with her, right? You know, she's quick, and, uh, but just anointed. Ministry, uh, just going for it. We love it that we get her back again. This is the third time we've had her with us. And uh, I just want you to open up your hearts to receive what she's going to bring to us. And uh, buckle your seatbelts, because I think God has something for you. Can you welcome with me Chris Kane? Come on, let's welcome How you doing, church? Are you well? I'm so honored to be here. And um, we've had a ball, Baker, haven't we, with the girls. It was, we sparkled away. And, um, but I have to say... It's nice to have some testosterone in the room, that's for sure. After three, I want a little bit of a Minneapolis male grunt, so I know the men are in the rooms. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we love Pastor Robin Becker and Nick and I. Um, greetings from my husband, and um, he wishes he could be with us this weekend. I was talking to him um, before I came here, and he's like, make sure you say hi to everyone. I'm going to get right into the word because you're... Um, you're a church on a move, so we've got this, this is a chick communicator's dream, this church, because I just arrived last night and you don't stop talking. And so I spoke last night, this morning, this afternoon, tonight, tonight again after this, tomorrow morning, and then tomorrow morning. It's like fantastic. My husband's hoping that by the time I meet him um, in Greece that I've used up all of my words. Do you think that's <laughs> likely to happen? I don't know. But I've got a word and I'm believing that um, God's going to speak to us. You know, you don't know much about me, but... Um, one thing, one quirk that I have, I have many quirks, but one is that I'm quite obsessive compulsive about everything being in its place. Um, in fact, in my home, we have a mantra and we say, there's a place for everything and everything in its place. Everyone say place, like an Australian. And, um, and so we say everything in its place. And, um, you know, I have been known to uh, kind of if the kids haven't got any of their toys in place three minutes after they've gotten them for Christmas to put them in the trash can to teach everyone a lesson. I know I am praying they will not need therapy when they get older. Um, but, you know, I'm married to a man who has a very different philosophy of life. He actually believes that you shouldn't limit a thing to only one place. In fact, that there are many potential places in the home for the one thing, and it would be really wrong to just put it in one place. Is there anyone that is more of that school of, can tell the kind of church you are? Okay. Knock yourself out. That's fine when you're single. But when you are married, that um, can cause a few little problems. Like, you know, four out of five mornings in the Kane household, Nick and I have um, times of incredibly intense fellowship as we are yet again trying to ascertain in which one of the many potential places he's left his car keys or his wallet. And inevitably it will end with me saying the phrase, honey, if you just put the keys in there, we wouldn't be having this little fellowship right now. You know, there's nothing more um, exciting really for a chick, a female preacher um, or a wife or a mother when you then when you actually go to the Word of God and you find that God actually agrees with you. And um, there is just this, 
moment of great joy as you tell your spouse that you and God are on the same page. And um, I found that God is quite a God of order and God is a God that loves things in their place. And in fact, God is a God that has set things in place. If you turn with me tonight to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we've got a lot of scripture, but track with me as pastor said, I can read very quickly. I'm both Greek and a woman, so I speak hard, fast and continuously. You won't sleep tonight. So the body says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, we turn up everywhere, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? And here's verse 18. But now God has set members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. The NIV, the New Living, says that God has set each part in the body in place as he sees fit. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I've no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I've no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honourable, on these we bestow greater honour. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honour to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. I love this. The Apostle Paul's reminding the Corinthian church that you and I, a part of one body. You and I are meeting here this morning, tonight in Minneapolis. As we start here in Sydney, Australia, in my home church, our first Sunday morning service has just started, just as we start here. Last night, we already had Saturday night church. There's seven services in Sydney tonight. We kick off weekend here. By tomorrow, we keep going all around the world. We are one part of one big body, but we're an important part. And every one of us within that part is crucial and so crucial that God says, I have taken you and I have set you in place. I have placed you in a local assembly. I've set you in place and I've given you a function to perform. And um, the truth is that he goes on to highlight that often we can think that it's just the parts that you can see, the parts that get all the great honor. They're the parts that you can see. They really matter. And that's what we often think. But he goes on to say, no, in fact, it's quite the converse. It's because of the parts that you can't see that the parts that you can see actually have a part to play. Like today, you see me up here. We had an awesome worship team up here. You heard pastor up here. But you know, it's only because of all the people that you can't see that this has happened. Before some of us were even awake today, there were people already up praying for the weekend services. There are people working in the parking lot, making sure no one's stealing your car while you're in here. There is people that we can't see that are down in the nursery, that are down with our kids, teaching them the things of God. It's because of all the things that you can't see. People you can't see that are enabling you to see me on the screen. It's because of all of that unseen that the scene actually comes to pass. And the Bible says that, you know what, it's all important. 
Every one of those members is crucial. Just because you can see me doesn't mean I am any more important than any other part of the body. And when one part suffers, all the parts suffers. Well, you know, I realized that like never before. Over this last couple of years, I'm not sure when I was here last time, whether I had told you the story of when I went skiing. And um, did I tell you that story? How many have heard it? No. Well, I went skiing with our Louisiana Mafia friends, um, all the Rizzo's and all of those people, to um, Vail, Colorado. Now, I'm from Sydney. We don't see snow. But when I was there, it was during the Vancouver Olympics, and I was so excited because I was there with all these Americans, and so I would watch the Vancouver Olympics at night. I'd get on the chairlift in the day, and then I'd get off the chairlift, and I think, I am representing Australia. I'm going for it. This is it. And so, you know, I, I've grown up in a youth ministry where we have this theory called the pump factor. And what that means is that people around you can pump you up to do things that are far outside of your expertise or your skill level, but the pump factor will make you do that. Now, I had forgotten that I was 43 at the time. And so I decided this one day, all the boys, Lee and Dina, all the boys went on this like black double diamond suicide run. And because I'm so good, I was on my little green flat slope. And um, anyway, I had done what I thought was the best little run of my life. I was so excited. But Nick came with me, being the good husband, so I turned around and I said, babe, if you were with Lee and the guys right now, you wouldn't be skiing any quicker, would you? Now, if you're married in this room or you want to one day be married and stay married and your wife ever asks you a loaded question like that, the right answer in that moment would always be to say, no, babe, I wouldn't be doing anything quicker or better with anybody else. The pinnacle of my ski experience is on this flat green slope with you. That is the highlight of my life. Now, if you're wanting any action that night, that's exactly what you'd say to your wife. Just saying. Not sure how you keep warm in Minnesota. But anyway, and so, that woke some of you men up, didn't it? Right there. Okay, got you back. So my husband, being a man of honesty and integrity, turns around and he goes, yeah, babe, if I was with the guys, I'd be going quicker. To which I turned around to him, famous last words, and went, well, sweetheart, eat my snow. And... Um, and then I took off, pointed my skis downhill and took off. About 20 seconds later, I knew I was in serious trouble on my second somersault that was not intentional as one ski went flying off and the other one didn't and midair I heard the loudest pop, pop, pop that you have ever heard. And um, anyway, I snapped my ACL, I tore my MCL, my meniscus. I did all of you are athletes, so um, I did it all. You know, I had to lie there. They got the ski patrol. They can't put you in the little coffin. You lie there. Everyone's gone, who's that nerd? It's me. Anyway, so that was the deal. Now, church, before I went on that trip, I didn't even know I had an ACL. I didn't even know what an MCL was. I didn't know if I had an ABC or XYZ in my knee. I had no clue. But let me tell you something, over the last 18 months or so, there has not been one day, not one, that I have not thought about this little ACL, this tiny little ligament, smaller than my little finger, tucked in behind my knee, a ligament that I did not even know was there, a ligament that I nor you could even see. It didn't matter that I didn't know it was there. It didn't matter that I couldn't see it. That little ligament had the capacity to cripple and immobilize me for months. The pain that I went through, the fact that I could not move without a full leg brace, everything that you can see me doing, I couldn't do because a tiny little ligament that I didn't know was there was displaced. It was out of place. 
See, sometimes we think, I'm just a person that sits in the back row. No one really knows if I'm there. It doesn't really matter if I tithe. How's anyone going to know? It really doesn't matter because no one can see me and no one knows I'm there. But if God has set you in place and you have displaced yourself, then you have the capacity to cripple the entire body because you have devalued your little place. Because you've devalued your little place. Because we think it doesn't matter. I could still talk and all the things that are obvious gifts. But because one small little part wasn't in place. And I had to end up having a hamstring graft. And, um, you know, we have three strands on our hamstring. And it was always the destiny for one of the strands of my hamstring to become my ACL. I just never knew it. And um, I am really glad. I'm so glad that when the surgeon went in to do surgery, I am so glad that my, my um, hamstring was still there. It would have been very disappointing if maybe two weeks before that the hamstring thought, I'm sick of being a hamstring. No one recognizes my gift as a hamstring. No one sees it. And, um, you know, it's really not fair. Christine's mouth gets all of the glory, not, my, not me, the hamstring. No one knows what I do here. I think I want to be a liver. <laughs> Work with me, people. <laughs> we would think it's ridiculous because it wasn't in place. But the truth is, that's how a lot of us are. I don't think I like this and no one recognizes me here. I don't really like this marriage. I'm just going to run over to this one. I don't really like this church. They don't recognize the gift in me. I was coming out of surgery and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me so clearly. And he said, Christine and Nick and I spend our life traveling across the global body of Christ. Christine, if you could see a picture of my church on the earth, this is what it looks like. And I had to wear a full leg brace and I was hobbling around. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, my church is incapacitated. It's in this brace because there's a whole lot of little ligaments that have devalued their place and they've become disconnected and my church isn't being held up to her full stature, being who I've called her to be on the earth because we've got a whole lot of ACLs and MCLs that think that they're not important so they haven't embraced their place. And so they've crippled and incapacitated the body and you've got one half of the body compensating for the other half of the body just like mine was because I had to drag this part of the body around. So one part of the body is paying more than it should be, is serving more than it should be, is giving more than it should be, is sowing more than it should be and it's becoming exhausted because the other part has not embraced its place. And if we're going to do what God has called us to do in these last days, which I so believe we are in, we need every sinew, every muscle, every ligament to understand that it is God that sets the parts of the body in place. And there are so many misplaced and displaced Christians that are having to be replaced because they simply never embrace their place. Because in the body of Christ, we have confused a position and a title with a place. And there are many people that have sacrificed their destiny on the altar of a position that they wanted because they would not embrace the place that God had for them. I've seen this in youth ministry for years because some person or some husband might have got offered a $100,000 pay rise to go to another state. They would uproot their kids who were engaged in a life-giving church, sowing their life into church, loving the youth ministry, without any thought to whether God would want it. For the God of $100,000, they would uproot their family, move, not even think about church, and then wonder why in five years their kids are away from the purposes of God and on drugs. The rehab bills are more than the hundred grand a year that they sold their destiny out for. 
it amazes me how much we have devalued the importance of a place. God sets us in place. We don't just go church hopping, whatever I like. You don't set your little destiny. My gift and my talent is not out there to the highest bidder. I'm not a prostitute out there for the highest bidder. God sets us in place. And then God has a job for us to do. And if we understood that destiny has a place, there'd be a whole lot more Christians planted in the right place, sowing and serving in the right place. Because I am convinced when God goes looking to promote someone, God goes to a place. And when you are in the place that you're supposed to be, you will be catapulted to your destiny. Everything that God has afforded me the privilege of doing on the earth has not come because I set out a marketing program in our world of marketing. I'll tell you this much. It is far better to be marked by God than marketed by man. When you've been marked by God, God will pluck you out of obscurity and God will put you where God wants you to be. I am old school enough. To still believe that God opens doors that no man can shut, that promotion does not come from the north, south, east or west. It comes from God. And if God wants you somewhere, God will put you in that place. But you've got to embrace your place. And in just the last few minutes we've got together, we're going to go to a place in the Bible because I'm going to talk to you about the place where God's more likely to find you. Because it's the place that most Christians are trying to get away from. It's the place that's not under the spotlight. It's the difficult place. It's the barren place. It's the hard place. It's the place where you've decided to fight for that marriage. It's the place where you've decided to fight for those kids. It's a place where you've decided to keep yourself morally pure in a culture that is so impure. It's a place where you've decided to sow in at church even when it seems like your opportunity isn't happening and other people are being promoted around you. It's in that dark place where you think God's forgotten you, but it's in the place where God's preparing you for the thing that he's already prepared for you. It's in that place. So why don't you turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter um, Exodus chapter 3 we're going to go to a place here in Exodus 3 the Lord's coming to Moses you know the story just like I am the Bible says now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the back of the desert everyone say the back of the desert see we don't think God can do much in the back of the desert we think we need to be front and center under the spotlight where everyone can see us but the thing that I've discovered is God tends to want to come to the back of the desert to make sure that you're where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing so that then he can catapult you from that place. See, Moses is in the back of the desert. When Samuel came to anoint the king of Israel, Jesse paraded his sons in front of Samuel. Here are my best. Here are my most marketable. Here are the most talented. Here are the most gifted. This is what the world would say should be the next king. And even the prophet got it wrong. He said, oh, Eliab, it must be you. But you know, I've worked out that even if the prophet gets it wrong, even if your boss gets it wrong, God never gets it wrong. There was a little sheep boy in the backside of the desert playing his little harp, killing a few bears and killing a few lions and looking after some sheep and singing shout to the Lord to a few sheep. And you know what? Even when the prophet came, even when the father of the house got it wrong, God still knew that he'd marked this little shepherd boy where? In the back of the desert. And then he spoke to the prophet and he said, no, 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 it's none of these marketable ones. I've got a marked one in the backside of the desert. He's where he's supposed to be, doing what he's supposed to be doing. And that's the 
one that I've anointed to be king of Israel. It doesn't matter as long as you're where you're supposed to be. It can be in the parking lot. It can be in the nursery. It can be at Sparkle. It can be serving in the women's ministry. It can be serving in the youth ministry. It can be serving in the hospitality room. It doesn't matter if man can't see you. If God's seen you and God's told you where to be, God knows where you are. God will come and find you and God will catapult you to your destiny. It's the way that it works. And here we are in this place and the Bible says, now Moses was tending the, uh, the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. I mean, that's hilarious. If you were leaving your house today to come to church and there was a bush burning but not being consumed, I promise you, you would not go, ooh, let us now turn aside and look at why the bush does not burn and is not being consumed. You'd be going inside and changing your underwear. Anyway, so it goes on. (laughs) And I want you to see this. Verse 4 says, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and he said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Now, it's interesting to me because we know what's happening in this story and for the sake of time, I'll go there. The fact is that Moses is being commissioned by God in Exodus chapter 3 for one of the biggest, biggest exoduses in human history. He's about to set over a million, well, a million men, over three million if you count women, which I prefer, but over three million were about to be set free out of bondage, out of slavery, out of 430 years of captivity, God had chosen the man that he was going to use to set his people free. And he turns up in chapter 3 in the backside of the desert to commission him with the biggest uh, emancipation program ever known in humanity. We would have turned up in chapter 2 because that's where we think God would have turned up. Chapter 2 is a spectacular chapter. That's where we think God's going to see us. I mean, chapter 2, we get a prophetic glimpse into the future of Moses. We see, I mean, when all the firstborn sons are being killed, Moses is saved. Not just saved, quite supernaturally saved. Not by anybody, but by Pharaoh's daughter. He's then raised in Pharaoh's house. Surely we get a glimpse there's something special about this child. We also get to see his gift and his talent. We get a glimpse of his gift and his talent. He sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. This sense of injustice arises on the inside of him in chapter 2. And you might remember the story. He jumps in and he kills the Egyptian taskmaster. Now, that was his gift operating prematurely because in his future, he was going to set the people free. So this injustice is his gift rising to the fore. But he didn't know what to do with it because he was still immature, because he hadn't yet been to the place. And so what he did was he activated prematurely that gift that wasn't yet developed. And in his own strength, he killed one. But God had over a million in his future. But he wasn't going to see over a million until he'd been to the place. And because he thought he was gifted and he had the talent to do what he wanted, the gift that was on him almost destroyed him because what was in him couldn't sustain him. And the problem is with many of us is we think, here's my gift, Pastor. I ought to be on the platform. I ought to have this great position because I'm talented. I'm gifted. I'm the best. But the gift that is on you will destroy you if what is in you can't sustain you. 
And you'll never grow what is in you until you've gone to the place. And the place is always in the backside of the desert. And there is no way to short circuit the timing of God. And I'm telling you, this message for this generation that is so instant gratification, quick fix, is more important than anything else. Because so many are displacing themselves from the call and the purpose of God. Because they're after celebrity and they're after title and they're after position. And they think, I've got a little bit of gift, but your gift in your own strength will only enable you to set one free. When you submit it to God and go to the place, there's more than a million in your destiny that God's always got for you. I've stayed planted in one house for 23 years. If you want to know the sole secret to why God has exalted me in this hour to do what he's called me to do, it has not very little to do with my gift and talent. There are far more gifted and talented people than me. It is the strength of what I am connected to and the fact that I've spent over 20 years in the backside of the desert that God has said now. I can put you in place and I can, um, I've been preparing you for the thing that I've already prepared for you for years. Now you can step into that. And a lot of us want that without going to the place. He had to go to the place. He had to go to chapter 3 in the backside of the desert because it was in that place that God could prepare Moses for all that he had already prepared for Moses. It's in that place where Moses thinks, God, have you forgotten me? Have you been to that place? It's that dry place. It's that arid place. It's the desert place. It's the place where you think God's walked out on you. God, are you even anywhere in this marriage? Are you hearing my prayers? But he's saying, while you're still fighting for it, while you're still honoring me, that place in your college where everyone else is sleeping around and you're the only one that's staying morally pure and you're like, God, am I psycho? And he's saying, no, that's where I'm testing you. That's where I'm preparing you for what I've already prepared for you. That place where you continue to serve in church life and you're going through your own financial struggles, but you're continuing to put the house of God first. You're continuing to tithe first. You're continuing to sow. You're continuing to be hope-filled when your life is falling apart. It is that place that the bush is right there. See, a lot of us, we detest that place that we're so busy looking at every other place. We're thinking, if I was just over there, if I had someone else's husband or wife, if I had someone else's kids, if I had someone else's parents, if I had another job, if it wasn't my boss, if I was in another church. And we're so busy looking at all the other places that there's a bush right there and it's burning and God's waiting for us to turn around and acknowledge him in the place. See, God's getting ready to speak to a whole lot of us, but he won't speak until we turn around and acknowledge that his presence is right there in the desert. While you're running off looking for the answer everywhere else, God's saying, I'm right here. And the Bible says in verse 4, I read it to you, it says right here that, um, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. For some of you, the bush is right there in the midst of the desert waiting to give you the grace and the strength and the courage and the tenacity to get you through this season, but you're so busy looking everywhere else. And God says, if you would just turn and acknowledge me in the barren place, I will give you all that you need in this place to have strength and sustenance so that I'll take you to the next place. We don't need to run after where we think God might be, because he is right where we are if we would turn around and acknowledge him. God's preparing us. God's building us. There is a huge end time harvest. He's preparing his church for all across the earth. And there's a whole lot of Christians that feel displaced and there's somehow they're feeling like they're misplaced. And I see it everywhere I go. And it's simply because they won't embrace their place. They're off chasing title and position and celebrity and the latest fad. And God says, if you would just embrace your place, then I'm, I've connected you to something bigger than yourself. 
Because you know what? Ultimately, it doesn't matter if you're an ACL or an MCL or a mouth or an elbow or a liver because it's not about what part of the body we are. It's about who we're holding up and it's the head of the body, the Lord Jesus Christ, that this whole deal is all about. It's all about Jesus. And when you understand that, you are grateful to have any part. You don't care whether you're serving in the parking lot or serving in the nursery. You are just grateful that you've been born again into his body and that he has a place for you. You're grateful you have the opportunity to sow. You're grateful you have the opportunity to serve. But there are so many disillusioned and so many frustrated because they refuse to embrace the place that God has for them. But you've got to understand in that struggle, that's not the place to walk away because it's hard because we have confused the blessed life with the comfortable life. And we somehow think the only evidence of the blessing of God is if my life's comfortable and there's no struggle and it all should be great and the whole world should operate around me. And we give God a time frame. I should be promoted according to this time and they're offering me a better offer. You can have a better offer and more money and more perks, but if you're in the wrong place, then you will never fulfill the destiny that God's got for you. I'm telling you, it's in the place that you're developing the strength and the courage to do what God has called you to do. I think in our generation of entitlement and quick fix, and I watch this because I'm still sort of just young enough that the young ones will still listen to me and old enough now to be credible. Once you hit 45, 50 is really close. So now finally I've got a bit of credibility with the older ones too. It's like maybe she's grown up. But you kind of look at it all and you go, wow, I've spent my life in youth ministry raising up a generation and I'm watching how quickly they want to be promoted and how quickly... They want position and title. And I'm thinking about the church because I've given my life to building God's house. And I think, you know, the only way we are going to do what God has called us to do and the only way we're going to have the marriages God wants us to have and the families God wants us to have, the relationships God wants us to have, build the kind of churches God wants us to have, is we're going to need a few moments of incredible discomfort and dis-ease to do what God's called us to do. Jesus didn't come from heaven to earth, die on a cross and rise again from the dead just to make my life comfortable. He came to give me an abundant life, a faith-filled, hope-filled life, but that doesn't mean it's a comfortable life. Even Jesus had to go to some places that he didn't want to go in order to do what he was ultimately called to do. See, there's always a path through where you don't want to be in order to end up where you do want to be. And most of us short-circuit that. And that's why we never end up where God's called us to be. And so, you know, for Jesus to attain redemption of humanity, there was a few places he didn't want to be. There was Gethsemane, there was the cross. Do you remember in Gethsemane, many of us, in order to see God's purpose outworked in our life, these are some of the moments we want. Jesus was, was down, and the fact that I can almost do this with my ACL is pretty miraculous, I'm telling you, but Jesus was down. Do you remember in Gethsemane? He was in a place he didn't want to be. He said, Father, if there's any other way, would you take this cup from me? I don't want to do it. And you know what? How many more marriages would be still together if we had a few little, Father, I don't really want to stay here. How many people would still keep their moral purity if it was like everything in me would love to jump into bed with that person? Everything in me would love to take this offer and it seems so much better even if it costs me my family, or jump into that church because it seems like I've got more opportunity. And Jesus said to the Father, I don't want to do this. 
And then he said these words that I think we need a little bit of resurgence of. He said, but nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Do you know how many more things in society would be in right order if we had a few nevertheless, not my will? Oh, I'd love to charge up my credit card and buy that new thing. But we're already maxed over. You know what, Lord? Nevertheless, not my will. Maybe I'll exercise some self-control. Oh, I'd love to jump into bed, but nevertheless, not my will. Oh, I'd love to just uproot and go, but nevertheless, not my will. And if we understood the power of nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, it is amazing how many of us would stay in the right place. We'd stay aligned to the right people. We'd stay serving even when we don't want to. Oh, it's Sunday, I'm tired, but I've committed to the nursery. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. If I started listening to my will, I wouldn't be here now. I've got a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. If you wanted to know in my flesh where I would prefer to be right now, I could tell you. But I gave up asking myself what my will was a long time ago because it became, Father, I'm here for your will. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. That's what's happening in the place where you think nothing's happening. God's preparing you for what he's already prepared for you. God's building strength and courage and tenacity in you to do what he's called you to do. And the greatest thing about staying in place is that you can never be misplaced or displaced or replaced. You know, because you've embraced your place. God, when God sets you in place, it doesn't matter how gifted or talented anyone else is because you have your place. And so I always think that, you know, last um, August I spoke at the, the Willow Creek Leadership Summit and I was laughing because it would have been like a Where's Wally moment for most people looking at the website because there's like Jack Welsh, there's... Um, Jim Collins, you know, sold 50 billion books. Jack Welsh was the CEO of, you know, the largest company in the world. And Bill Hybels, mega church pastor and all these other big names. And then people would have looked at me, I'm sure, and gone, who's that? Like, what is she doing there? Is there a mistake on the flyer? And um, it would have been like, who is this person? And I was laughing because everyone around me is like, oh, are you so nervous? And, you know, they slotted me really beautifully between um, Jim Collins and Jack Welsh. And it's Chris. Anyway, and so it's like, let's put her up there. And I laughed and everyone's going, are you, you know, Christine, you know, all the pressure. And I just laughed. I went, look, it is a joke that I'm even there. I don't even know how that happened. I couldn't have planned for that to happen. That, that, so God obviously must want me there because there's no other way I could have got there. And the cool thing is I don't have to be Jack Welsh. I don't have to be Bill Hybels. I don't have to be, um, you know, Jim Collins. I just need to be me. Because if God put me there, then I don't need to be better than anyone else. I don't need to compare myself with anybody else. I just need to be me. And when you embrace your place, no one can displace you. No one can replace you because God has set you in place. And what God sets in place, no one can remove. So it's the most comforting thing in the world when you just embrace your place. You don't have to perform. You don't have to compare. It takes all the striving and all the anxiety out of your Christianity because you are in the place where God has set you and from that place God will catapult you to the destiny that he has for you for you and all the generations to come after you in Jesus name the power of embracing your place will change your life if we understood destiny is not somewhere out there but it's right here in the place that God has set you friend I wonder if you know this God that I'm talking about not do you know about him but do you know him and if you don't right here, right now, just right where you're sitting, 
on Saturday afternoon. I want to give you the opportunity to make the most important decision of your life, the opportunity to address the spiritual condition of your heart, the opportunity to put Jesus Christ first in your life. Friend, you can't embrace your place in his body unless first and foremost he has embraced his place in your heart. There's a different thing between just coming to church and being religious and allowing Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. And for some of you, if you've struggled at all with some of the concepts I've talked about in this message, it's simply because Jesus Christ doesn't have first place in your heart. Because the truth is, once Jesus has embraced his place in your heart, you just step into whatever place he sets you in. While there's a striving and while there's a struggle, it means he is not truly on the throne in your heart and your life. And I just want to give you the opportunity to make that adjustment and to get that right. Friend, only Jesus Christ can give us forgiveness for all of our past, a brand new start, and a hope for the future. Friend, you were created by God for a relationship with God, and it's only Jesus that connects us to God and Jesus that connects us to the grace of God. And this afternoon, if you don't know him in a real personal way, I want to give you the opportunity to make that adjustment, to have a fresh start with Jesus Christ, to allow him to embrace his place in your heart, so that you can embrace your place in his body. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. No one moving just for the final few seconds of this meeting. From wherever you're sitting, from the front to the back, from the left to the right, if you say, you know what, Chris, you're speaking to me tonight. I recognize that I need to allow Jesus to embrace his place, first and foremost, in my heart, to allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. I want a fresh start with Jesus Christ. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. A very simple but powerful prayer right there, right where you're sitting. If you say, Chris, include me in that prayer. I want a fresh start with Jesus. Wherever you are, would you just raise your hand up now so that I know who I'm praying for to say yes to Jesus Christ. Thank you, 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 thank you. Fantastic. Put your hands up high. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Right at the back there. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you over there. That's fantastic. Keep your hand up really high because I'm going to pray. Keep it up high. I want the whole room to pray this, but especially those of you with your hands raised. No one's looking around. We're all praying. Your hand's raised because this is your sign to God. But we're all going to pray this with conviction after me. So church, pray this with conviction as Pastor Rob comes. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, I've raised my hand tonight because I recognize my need for you. I ask that you would forgive me for all of my sins. Give me a fresh start tonight and a hope for the future. I want to be a Christian a follower of Jesus Christ every single day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.